I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church. We are glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're a first-time guest, if you're a member or regular attender, it's always good to worship together with you. And about once a month, I have the privilege of opening up the Word um, with you and, and preaching. And so I'm excited to get to do that this morning. Um, This morning, it'll it'll be a little different. I'm going to read Hebrews 1 through part of Hebrews 2 as the intro into this text, because I want you to get an idea of where we're going, and then we're going to land in Hebrews 13 and walk through that um, text together this morning. So if you would join me in Hebrews 1, if you're there, say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, we're good to go. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." For to which the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And... He says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Still, the Father speaking of the Son. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So here in Hebrews 1 into Hebrews 2, we kind of have the context of this whole book laid out for us. The writer of Hebrews is defending the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Apparently there had been some kind of controversy over angels and what, what power they held or what um, leadership they held in the faith. And maybe some kind of heresy was beginning to seep into these believers. Um, and, and so... So the writer of Hebrews wants to say to them, who are the angels? Uh, Of whom has God ever said that he will make your enemies a footstool? He, He always talks about Jesus as the eternal God all throughout scripture. And so the writer of Hebrews is urging his audience, hold tight to the faith that you have. 
the one that has been taught to you. Hold tight to the Christ. He is the sovereign Lord. Pay close attention to the message that you have received and do not drift away from the faith. Dr. Tom Constable, a professor from Dallas Theological Seminary years ago, wrote this about Hebrews. We will only realize our full eternal reward as believers if we appreciate the greatness of Jesus Christ and continue to trust God rather than turning away from him in this life. The ultimate goal that the writer had in view was our full eternal reward as believers. I do not believe that it was the conversion of the unsaved members of his audience. He addressed his readers consistently as believers. He wrote to encourage Christians to persevere faithfully so that they will receive all that God wants to give them at the judgment seat of Christ. So Dr. Constable says this is the reason Hebrews was written. This summarizes the message of Hebrews. Cling to the faith that you have received. Don't turn away. Throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer encourages the audience, hold fast to the faith you have received. We gather from the way that he writes, he's writing to a mostly formerly Jewish audience that has trusted Christ. He continually urges them not to go back to the law, but to continue to trust Christ through whatever trials may come. And so in chapter 13, he kind of sums up his writing. This is the end of his letter. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. But he sums it up with a series of short imperatives for these Christians to follow in this life. So if you would, turn with me to Hebrews 13, where we're going to spend our time this morning. And as the writer of Hebrews concludes um, his letter... We'll see what he tells these believers, how he instructs these believers. Now, I'm going to keep referring to the writer of Hebrews as just that or as the author of Hebrews because we don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews uh, or this letter. Um, many people think it may be Paul or Barnabas or Apollos or, or some others. Um, we don't know. Every now and then, I may slip and say Paul. So just forgive me. Um, that is my, my bent is toward believing that Paul wrote this, but there are a few things in the book that maybe suggest that he didn't. Um, and, and so if I slip, that, that's, it's just that, a slip. Um, we don't know really who the writer of Hebrews is. So to get a little context as we walk into to chapter Chapter 13, we're going to begin reading in chapter 12, verse 28, and go from there. <coughs> Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way, their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar 
from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly, do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage of scripture. And God, this morning, we ask that the power of your spirit living in us would illuminate our hearts to see truths here that we haven't seen before. This passage would speak to us in new ways that would encourage our faith, that would help us to persevere to the end, that we would find joy in following Jesus that we would lay our lives down for his sake. It's for your glory we pray. Amen. So I grew up in an independent Baptist church um, here in our area. And uh, in that church, the King James Version was the only version in the word of God. Um, and we sang Southern gospel music and we sang gospel hymns that were written in the early, mid-1900s often. Um, I have some independent Baptist brothers and sisters over here that, that know that, um, that world. As I got older and I entered Bible college uh, in 2005, I began to see some differences that I had with the church after studying the scriptures and pouring over the scriptures. And one of the things that really started to bother me was I realized the songs that we sang were often songs about heaven. We didn't sing a whole lot of songs about who God was and the attributes of Jesus and and worship him for who he is. We didn't sing many songs that, that dealt with rich theological truths that I could hold on to. And so I got really frustrated with that. And so I began to push back against that and say, why do we always sing about heaven and not about Jesus? Like Jesus is the object of our worship, not the gifts that he gives. And, and, and it frustrated me. And so so as we tend to do in our human nature, especially in the church, we, we go from one side all the way to the other side of the spectrum, right? I want to get away from this, so I'm going to go all the way to the other side. What I realized a few years later, looking back, is that it's okay to sing songs about heaven. And many of us have gone so far to the other side of the spectrum that it seems as though we're comfortable here. 
It seems as though we've made our home here. We're not looking forward to a city that is to come, but, but we're comfortable here. We've made a nice life for ourselves. We have good jobs. We love our friends. We have a good church. We live in a decent neighborhood. And so we've become comfortable and our, our hearts don't groan for a city that is to come. See, a lot of those hymns that I grew up singing are gospel songs. That I grew up singing were written around the time of World War II and after. People were tired. War was everywhere. And they were just ready for Christ to return and for this thing to be done. So all these songs are being written about heaven and streets of gold and peace. And we sang songs like, I'll fly away. And when we all get to heaven, when the roll is called up yonder, right? We sang songs like, on Jordan's stormy banks I'll stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I am bound, I am bound, I am bound for the promised land. Oh, would you come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. We sing songs of the future. But I'm afraid that we become too comfortable here. As I read the New Testament and as I study its text, I'm convinced that not only do we need to be reminded of our future hope, but that the future kingdom coming with the return of Christ is our goal. That is our aim. That is where we are headed. And we are aliens and strangers here. We see in our text today in verse 13 and 14, which I, I believe this whole text kind of hinges here on verse 13 and 14. Let us go to him outside the camp, being Jesus, and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So this morning, I want to urge you, Grace Bible Church, as the writer of Hebrews urged his audience, beginning in verse 1, let brotherly love continue. As we look forward to a city that is to come, let brotherly love continue. He begins the section of his letter with this broad statement. And then he begins to unpack it in the verses following. But first, let's stop here and pause here and talk about this brotherly love. If you've been a part of Grace Bible Church for any time, you know that the people in this room love each other. They care for one another. At any time during the week, I can drive by the house of one of our members here at Grace, and there's almost always a car of another member here at Grace in front of their house. We're constant fellowship with one another. We enjoy spending time together. We really do love one another. And the same could be said of these, these Hebrews or the, the, the um, believers here that are being written to, that they loved one another because the writer doesn't say, hey, love one another, stop fighting, stop bickering. No, he says, let brotherly love continue. It seems to say that they already had this love for one another. Brotherly love here, that Greek term is Philadelphia. And it refers to a sibling-like love. The love that siblings have for one another. Now, if you've ever had a brother or sister, you know that siblings get along all the time. Right? They're, 
They're like, they just love each other. They always want to share their things and, and sacrifice for the other, right? No, that's not the case, right? Siblings bicker and they fight and they get mad at each other. But they never stop loving one another. They grow up together at odds with each other sometimes. But they continue to love one another. And the same can be said for us in the church. There will be times that we don't really like each other, right? There will be times where we may argue or disagree. But in the end, we love one another with this, this love that endures like a family. This passage is addressed to believers. Only believers in Jesus Christ can have this kind of love for one another. Only believers in Jesus Christ can have this sibling-like love because we share the blood of Jesus Christ. We are a family. We have been made into a family. This command is not for you to love your unsaved neighbor. There's another command for that. Love your neighbor as yourself. This command, though, is for the church specifically, for a family that has been bought by the blood of Jesus. Let brotherly love continue, church. Grace Bible Church, we do a great job at this. And so this morning, I hope if you're visiting with us, that you will see that these people love one another. That you will see that and that you would desire to be a part of this family. And we want to tell you how to become a part of this family. We encourage one another. We rebuke one another when we're in sin. We celebrate good things together. And we cry through hard times together. This family loves one another. And so I urge you this morning, continue in this love. And then the writer comes with this statement. And there's almost a, an invisible but here. But... Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. But do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. We as the church bought by the blood of Jesus Christ are a family. It is that church that meets here on Sunday morning. This, this place is for believers to gather and worship their Savior. That's what we're here to do. It's for believers to come and hear the word of God preached. But we are not an exclusive club that doesn't show hospitality to the unbeliever and the outsider. We are called by the gospel to welcome those who are unbelieving, to show hospitality. We don't make them a part of this church if they haven't trusted Christ. But they're welcome here to hear the gospel, to see us worship. Abraham showed hospitality to strangers. That's probably what this passage is referring to. Maybe in particular in Genesis 18 and 19. Some angels come to Abraham. He doesn't know that they're angels. But he feeds them. He gives them water. And then finds out that they are ministering spirits of the Lord. In 1 Timothy 3, 2, elders are expected to be hospitable. To those who are outsiders. Matthew 25 in verse 44 and 45, entertaining a servant of the Lord actually implies serving the Lord himself. Whatever you do for the least of these, you have done it to me. 
And so while we love one another, we remember that we are to be hospitable to those who are outsiders, who are strangers. In keeping with the theme of brotherly love, the author continues in verse 3. Verse 3, he says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Remember those who are in prison and who are mistreated. While we are loving our brothers and sisters, while we are showing hospitality to those come, who come in from the outside, we must not forget our persecuted brothers and sisters. We have family around the world who are in prison, who are being beaten, who are being killed for the sake of Christ. At the time that this letter in particular was written, Nero was the emperor of Rome. If you know anything about Nero, he was a wicked, evil man. Nero found himself in charge of Rome at the age of 17. How about that? He was responsible for the death of his half-brother and he had his own mother murdered. Because he wanted full power and full control. He felt like they had too much influence over his reign. So he had him killed. In AD 64, right around the time that Hebrews was written, Nero's palace was burned. Many suspected that he had done it himself because he wanted to build a bigger, better palace. And so he had an excuse that he kind of cleared the land. So many in Rome thought Nero had burned his own palace. He couldn't have that, and so he threw Christians under the bus. He blamed them for the burning of the palace, and a systematic persecution of Christians began in Rome under the rule and reign of Nero. We know that he used um, saints, believers in Jesus Christ, as candles in his garden. He would dip them in wax and burn them alive um, and walk through his garden, a wicked man. And this is the context in which this letter is being written. Remember those who are in prison and who are persecuted among you. Grace, we need to remember these brothers and sisters. We need to pray for them. And we need to give them help and aid when they need it. If you go to opendoorsusa.org, opendoorsusa.org actually is a website devoted to the persecuted church around the world. It shares prayer concerns for those who are being persecuted around the world. It offers news updates about what's going on in different countries. It gives different rulers and regimes to, to be praying for, that the Lord would turn their hearts people who are bent toward persecuting the church. And I would encourage you to visit that website, become familiar with their stories, become familiar with their lives. Opendoorsusa.org. They even have a list you can subscribe to, get emails every day that kind of give you an update. Prayer concerns that are shared there. There's a book I got to read um, last week called The Insanity of God. And some people are like, that title's kind of funny, The Insanity of God. Um, sounds like something a pagan wrote. Um, that's not the case. Um, a man uh, and his wife in the late 80s began a, a mission um, in Somaliland at the time. Um, no one wanted to go into that country as, as bad as it was politically. There was war everywhere. Um, it was very dangerous. He and his wife felt the Lord were calling them, uh, was calling them there. And so they went and started a relief organization in Somaliland. 
sharing the gospel with people. And it ended up becoming a really large organization that countries, including the United States, began to get involved with because they were making headway into a space that nobody had ever wanted to enter before. So a lot of international governments got involved there and were able to relieve the persecution that was happening there. And later, um, Nick Ripkin, as his name, decided that he would go and hear stories of the persecuted church around the world. He wanted to hear what other believers were facing around the world. And so he interviewed believers in China, in the Middle East, um, in Africa, and other places around the world. And he shares their stories in that book. And as I read through that book, um, I realized that we don't rely on the power of the resurrection of Christ as these believers do who are facing persecution. See, to them... Hebrews 13, verse 14 is reality. For we have no lasting city here. We seek a city that is to come. They can kill me now. That doesn't stop the kingdom of Christ from marching on. And I will be raised. And to hear their stories, to hear how their courage and their faith in Jesus Christ plays out is encouraging and convicting Because I often question, do I have that kind of hope and that kind of faith in a future kingdom that my life here means nothing to me? Spend time as a family. If you have children, praying for these brothers and sisters across the world who are being persecuted. Your children need to be aware of what is happening to Christians around the world. They need to know that Christianity is not easy. That a life surrendered to Jesus Christ is not easy. For the last 250 years of American history, it's been quite easy to be a Christian. But in most of the world, for most of history, it has not been easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's better that you teach your children that now. It's better that we teach new believers in Christ that now, so that they won't drift away from the faith later. This is not easy, and it's not going to get any easier. In fact, it will only get more difficult. The writer continues in verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor. Again, this goes back to that let brotherly love continue. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let marriage be held in honor among all. What he's saying here is the sexual relationship belongs in marriage. That is the only place it belongs. In a marriage between a man and a woman. That is where the sexual relationship belongs. Don't take part in sex outside of marriage. And in particular for those who are married. Don't take part in sex outside of your marriage. If you're going to love your brothers and sisters. You're not going to have affairs with their spouses. Right? Let marriage be held in honor among all. Love your brothers and sisters enough to marry them before you begin a sexual relationship with them. It is unloving to take part in fornication. The reason, because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. He will take care of them. It's not loving your brother and sister to not honor their marriage. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money 
Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Keep your life free from the love of money. Those who love money have a hard time parting with it. If you love money, you have a hard time parting with it. What the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these people is to give their lives away, to give their money away for the advancement of the kingdom, to love their brothers and sisters well. And if you love your money, you will hold on to your money and it will cause you to not love those around you, to be open and giving with the possessions that you have. Be content with what you have so that you can give more away for the kingdom. Based on the fact that the author tells them to keep their lives free from the love of money, it seems that these believers are not greedy, that they've already been doing that. He just wants to warn them against falling into the trap of loving their money. He says, keep yourselves. Keep your life free from the love of money. Not keep your life free of money, right? This doesn't mean quit your job. You have to be poor and destitute to be a follower of Jesus. That's not what this passage is saying. It's saying don't love money, right? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not just money, Grace Bible Church is a generous church. We are a generous people. But we must constantly guard ourselves against the love of money. We live in an area, Texas, an area of the United States, that is not poor and destitute. We live, whether you feel like this or not, in a very affluent culture and society. You may say, well, my bank account doesn't reflect that. Um, But we do. Most of the world lives on $2 a day. If you're a teenager in the United States of America making minimum wage, you make more than like 80% of the population of the world. So we have to guard against the love of money. And then he says this at the end of verse five, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. A lot of people wonder why that was thrown in there. It's kind of an odd placement for for that little thing. We often say this when we're going through trials or hard times. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. But he's just mentioned money. He's a guard against the love of money. Keep yourself from loving money. And then he says, for I will never leave you or forsake you. Why does he say that? Because the Lord is your provider. He'll give you all that you need. Be content with what you have. He feeds the sparrows. He clothes the lilies. He cares about you. He loves you. And he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to hold on to your things tightly. We can love with open hands. He is our provider. We have no need to hoard our possessions. And then he says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Here he's quoting Psalm 118, 6 verbatim. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. This seems to act as a summary statement for all that he has said previously. Being hospitable to strangers can be hard and scary. It's not going to be easy. Strangers are weird. They're not like you. That's why they're strangers. 
You don't know where they've come from, what they've done, what their past might be. We're called to be hospitable to these people. It's hard. There's fear of the unknown. What the writer of Hebrews says from Psalm 118 is, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? No matter where you are on the, the debate about Syrian refugees, we're called to be hospitable. If they're here, we're called to be hospitable as the church. So we welcome them. Is that, is that scary? That they could be a part of ISIS, that ISIS has infiltrated Syria. Yeah, it, it could be scary. But what can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. I, I have no need to fear. If I'm looking for the city that is to come, what, what can man do to me? He may take my life, but I'll be raised again. Jesus was raised. We have no fear. The Lord is our helper. Praying for and going to those in prison is not going to be easy. Loving people who are hurting hurts. Hurt people hurt people, right? We're called to get our hands dirty for the cause of Christ. Going to those in prison is not going to be easy. It may involve imprisonment with them. Their brothers and sisters in Christ that we visit in prison could cause us to go to prison with them. But I will not fear. The Lord is my helper. What command do to me? Holding marriage in a place of honor is already unpopular in our culture and it will lead to more and more persecution. Holding marriage up as the Bible defines it is not popular in our society. And the further and further we go, the more and more legislation will not be on our side. And there may come a point when pastors are told, you must not preach against homosexual marriage or you'll be imprisoned. And the question is, will we still stand on our convictions? I'm prepared to go to prison for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the scriptures. Are we prepared for that? We will not fear the Lord is our helper. What can man do to us? People will mock your children for abstaining from sex before marriage. Ask any college student today who says they're a virgin, somebody finds out that they're a virgin, Ask them if that's popular. Ask them if that's the cool way to be. It's not. You'll be mocked. You'll be ridiculed. Your kids are going to come up in a world where they will be looked at as strange and weird. How do you know if they're the right one if you haven't had sex before marriage? Those questions will come. But we must not fear. The Lord is our helper. What can man do to us? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you in verse 7. There's a specific leader that the writer is referring to. He's not talking about leaders of just government or business, not leaders of a club or a society. No, he's talking about a specific leader. Remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Remember those who preached to you who shared the gospel with you. He says, remember those leaders, the ones who taught you the word of God. For the original audience, many of these leaders would have been the apostles, those who were sharing the faith, who had given them the gospel. If you know anything about the lives of the apostles, they were all killed, 
except John, who was exiled to an island and died there alone. They were all killed for their faith. And what does the writer of Hebrews say to us and to his audience? Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider the outcome. They were killed. Consider it. Imitate their faith. Imitate that faith. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Their hope wasn't in this life. It was in the one to come. And then he gives them the assurance in verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In other words, they died. They will be raised. And Jesus Christ has not changed. Imitate their faith. The outcome of your life will be the same outcome as theirs. Do not be led away by diverse or strange teachings. In verse 9. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. This is being directed at a formerly Jewish audience. And the author doesn't want these people to be tempted to go back to Judaism because Christianity may be hard. They're facing persecution as Christians that they never faced as Jews. The Jews had become buddy-buddy with the Roman government. They were living just fine under Roman rule. And so now they've entered this new thing of Christianity. Judaism is, is looking better by the day. Maybe I should go back to that. My life wasn't being threatened. My family wasn't being threatened. I had money. I could do things. I wasn't an outcast in society. The writer of Hebrews is urging them, don't give in to false teachings. And he specifically makes the case not to go back to Judaism. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, talking about the new covenant, not by foods, speaking of the old covenant, the ceremonial law, and what you could eat and what, what you could not eat which have not benefited those devoted to them. In other words, they kept these ceremonial laws for years and it never saved them. It never benefited them. So he says, don't give in to the temptation to go back to other teachings. For us today, I urge you, don't give in to the, the teachings that this world offers that are antithetical to the gospel. The lie of the prosperity gospel is anti-gospel. Don't give in to its lie. Don't be wet, led away by any kind of new age theology or belief. Every day people will tell you there are multiple ways to God, not just one. And we must not give in. Just hold fast to this gospel, this faith, once for all delivered to the saints. And then he says, our altar is Jesus. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Those who serve the tent, again, is referring to the priests in a tabernacle, offering sacrifices, animal sacrifices to God. And he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. We have the altar that is Jesus We meet at the Lord's table. We take communion to remember 
The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus, his broken body for us, for our sin. They have no right to eat of that altar. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. They sacrifice it in the holy place. They take its remains and they burn it outside of the camp to keep it ceremonially clean. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The writer of Hebrews is flipping things on them. He says, the animals were offered in the Holy of Holies. Jesus offered his life outside the gate, symbolizing that all may come. Not just the priest could enter now, but all could come. Jesus went outside the gate and he died to rescue all people by his blood. Therefore, because of this, because Jesus went outside the gate, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. This is the call of the Christian life, to go outside the camp and bear the reproach that Christ endured. They will hate you because they hated me, Jesus says. They will persecute you because they persecuted me. If you align yourself with Jesus Christ, with his church, with his people, you will be hated. You will be persecuted. It's promised that you will suffer. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. For here we have no lasting city. It doesn't matter. They can persecute us. They can hate us. We can suffer and we can endure because we don't have a lasting city here. We're seeking a city that is to come. The problem is many of us have made this our home. He goes on to talk about offering up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name, not shying back from sharing the gospel, not shying back from praising God because of what that might bring to us. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Then he goes on to say, obey your leaders, submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. The leaders he's talking about here, the leaders in the church, the elders, Those whom you sit under, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So those who serve as elders in our body will one day give an account for the souls who are members of this church. That's why we take membership very seriously. If we're going to give an account for the souls that belong to this church, to God, then we want to know who those people are. We want to know who you are. We want to know what's going on in your life. We're going to be held accountable for your soul and how you've matured in the faith, how you've grown in the Lord. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. You don't want it to be a hard task to to love you, in other words. Don't, Don't make this difficult for them. Difficulty will come. We're sinners. But let it be done with joy. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you 
more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, he brings our minds back to the resurrection. He brings his audience back to the resurrection. This is why you can hold fast. God has brought Jesus back from the dead, a great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant that has no end. There's no point at which this won't save you. Let him equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We have no lasting city here. We seek the city that is to come. We serve a risen Christ. Why did I preach this text today? What? Hebrews 13 kind of seems like a random place to go. We've been in the book of Acts and we're going to be finishing the book of Acts in the next few weeks. So the reason I preached this text this morning partly was for myself. It's for myself. It's as we've gone through this political season this year, I've been reminded we have no lasting city here. We seek a city that is to come. For too long we've been comfortable here with the moral majority and... Christians have had it quite easy. There's not been a lot of persecution. And for a long time, Christian ideas, Christian morality have kind of been the rule for our nation. But it is not so anymore. And this election will be a difficult one. And it will remind us all that we long and we wait for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Who will rule justly and lovingly. We don't have a city here that will last. We seek one that is to come. The moral atmosphere in our nation reminds us as it is in decline and everybody's running around with their hair on fire that the world is coming to an end. Yes, it is coming to an end. Since Genesis 3, the world has been coming to an end. Let's remember that as goes America is not like as goes the world. We don't see America in the book of Revelation. The church globally has been persecuted for centuries. We may join them in the next few years. And we need to be teaching our children and our children's children that we have no lasting city here. This is not our home. You were meant for a different world. Trust in Christ. Suffer the persecution that may come because you will share in the resurrection of Jesus. It's far better than anything this world could ever offer you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you've never trusted Christ, this whole message of salvation is new to you, hear me clearly. Jesus Christ, eternal God, wrapped in flesh, came. He was born of a virgin. Around the age of 33, he died on the cross as God in the flesh, the perfect sacrifice for your sin and my sin. He was buried in a tomb and he was raised three days later to prove that he was who he said he was. That he was God in the flesh. And he redeemed for all time those who would put their faith in him.
You can be free from the slavery and the bondage of sin. You can be free to serve and love Christ. No matter what you may suffer in this life, he will return and we will be raised and we will have our city, the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you had a plan to redeem the world. That Satan thought he was destroying what you had created. But you would see the woman. That he would crush the head of the serpent. That he would rise again. And those who put their faith in him would also be raised. May our hope be in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May our minds be on the city that is to come. May that be our goal in life. is to reach that city and to take those around us with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.